storm on the outside or a storm on the inside? Last week, Pastor Mark showed us how Jesus calmed a storm, violent storm at sea. Today, we're going to see Jesus calm a violent storm inside a person. Now, if you don't know much about storms, it's okay. In Southern California, we don't see too many, even during El Nino. But we all sure suffer from the squalls in our lives, don't we? Today, we're going to see what Jesus can create out of the chaos in our lives as we read about one of the most daring rescues in the Bible. First, please join me in prayer. Father, we, we come on a glorious day just loving you and thanking you that you sent your son to die for us so that we could know you and we could love you and we could be in this place to put aside all our other cares and concerns and focus just on you and what you would have us here today. Please open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to your truth. Change us by the power of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 5. We're all the way into Mark chapter 5, just starting today. Last week, Pastor Mark taught us how Jesus led his disciples into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. And they encountered a vicious storm. Remember? It's all the way to last week. Remember? It hit a storm. It was so severe that some of the disciples who were professional, experienced fishermen were sure they were going to die. So while, while the disciples battled the howling wind and the roaring waves, what was Jesus doing? Remember? Sleeping on a cushion in the boat. Finally, the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? Well, Jesus got up and he spoke to the wind. He said, Quiet, be still. And it was calm. Not later that night, but in that very moment. Do you remember what, how the disciples reacted to that? What they just saw, what they just witnessed? Do you remember? Did they turn to each other and go, Wow! Good thing we brought Jesus with us. Now we know He's the Son of God. We're never going to doubt Him again. Is that what they said? Look, uh, we, if you're in Mark chapter 5, just look right at the end of chapter 4, right before it, the last two verses, verses 40 to 41. This is what Jesus said to His disciples, Why are you so timid or afraid? How is it you have no faith? And they became very much afraid. That means terrified. And said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and sea obey him. Jesus saved their lives with his divine power, and they became more afraid of their teacher than they were of the storm. This is what brings us to chapter 5, where Jesus and the disciples make it to the shore, only to encounter another deadly storm of a different kind. This event in Mark chapter 5 is also recorded in Matthew and Luke, but Mark gives us the longest and most detail. Here's an outline. I have an outline for you for this daring rescue. We're going to start by looking at the condition, then we'll deal with the confrontation and the conclusion. Let's read together Mark chapter 5, and we'll just read the, con the condition, verses 1 to 5. And they, that's Jesus and the disciples, 
came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had, Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying and gashing himself with stones. Let me have that first photo, please, Robert. The region or country of the Gerasenes would look something like this. This is a modern photo. But when Jesus crossed, they came to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is what the terrain looks like. The region of the Gerasenes is, is also known as Decapolis or the Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities in Greek. These ten cities were grouped together because of their language and culture. This was a center of, of Greek and Roman culture in Jesus' time. So you would imagine there would be a high number of Gentiles that live in this area. And when Jesus got out of the boat, he was met immediately by someone, but not someone from the cities. He was met by somebody that lived among the tombs. Can I have the next slide, please? Here's an excavation of those tombs. This is where this man came from. The tombs were burial chambers that were dug out of the rock on this hillside. Lovely, isn't it? In Jesus' day, it wasn't uncommon for deranged people to live among the tombs. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, he tells us there were at least two men li living here. The man that met Jesus had an unclean spirit, meaning he, he was demon-possessed. Here we are, just starting Mark chapter 5, early in his ministry, and already this is the third time we've read where Jesus has confronted people with unclean spirits or with demons. Let's review the other two. Would you just turn back to Mark chapter 1. Just let's review these together very quickly. The other two encounters Jesus had with unclean spirits. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. It says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. First encounter with the demons. Now, go forward just two chapters into Mark chapter 3. Mark 3, verse 11 and 12. By now, crowds are following Jesus everywhere. And Mark gives us this note. Whenever unclean spirits saw him. So this seems like a reoccurring event for our Lord. They would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And Jesus earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Lots of demonic encounters, lots of demonic activity. And now in chapter 5 is the most graphic of them all. Because Mark describes this man's physical and spiritual condition in detail. He is demon-possessed, homeless, uncontrollable, supernaturally strong, and constantly tormented. 
It's one of the saddest descriptions of a person in the entire Bible. Luke's gospel adds this note, that this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house for a long, long time. He was kept under guard, Luke tells us, but he kept breaking his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. He could break his chains with his bare hands. He had supernatural strength by the evil inside of him. He was so dangerous he was kept under guard, Luke said. I wonder who guarded him. We don't know. Maybe soldiers, maybe people from the town. How would you like that duty? Hey, Harry, it's your turn for the midnight shift. You get the graveyard shift tonight, you know? How would you like to guard this guy? The point is, a lot of effort went in to trying to overcome this man. But nobody could guard him, chain him down, or hold him down. And I wonder how many times groups of men from the villages went out there. Because Mark says it was often. How many times did they ambush him or catch him sleeping just so they could wrestle him to the ground and temporarily tie him with ropes or chain him with iron shackles? Clearly this was an ongoing battle to subdue him. The Greek word for subdue here about this man is the same word that James uses in James uh, 3.7 when he's referring to taming of wild animals. This man was wild. He lived like an animal. Matthew's Gospel says he was exceedingly fierce, so violent that no one could pass his way. He was incredibly dangerous, wild and crazy. This man made me think of something I saw years ago. I was hired as the director for a TV series in Costa Rica. It was called Mowgli, The New Adventures of the Jungle Book. So because it was a jungle book story, we had lots of animals, real animals. We had a black panther, we had a tiger, we had bears, we had lions and monkeys and snakes and birds, all this stuff. And, and they, the, they, these were all animals that were very familiar with TV and film production. And they, the trainers were excellent. And they built this big animal compound there in Costa Rica. And they put up this tall fence where they could exercise and train the animals inside the compound. And as an extra, as an extra precaution, they ran a wire inside the fence, a few feet away from the fence, because they didn't want the animals to get too close to the fence. So they ran a, a wire all the way around, and the wire carried very low voltage. So if the animal just barely touched it, there'd be just enough of a zap or a noise to make the animal back away. I remember the day the big, big male lion arrived. So they did what they always do. They put the, the lion in the compound to let him just walk around and get used to his bearings before they started training him. The trainers were in there. It was all going great until the lion touched that low-voltage wire. And that's when they discovered someone had made a mistake. It was not carrying low voltage. It was carrying something much more than that. Probably would have knocked a man to the ground. I've never heard a lion roar like that. It was pure rage. It was fury. When his nose or paw hit that wire, he went crazy. His eyes were wild. He was screaming and roaring. He was running around inside this big compound and wouldn't stop. And these big, tall, strong, experienced trainers did not wait or bother to try to get in his way to calm him down. They just cleared out of there. And that lion reminds me of the state of what this guy must have been like. Uncontrollable, out of control. By the way, the lion did settle down and he was fine. And this man, though, he screamed in torment, day and night, constant torment. He gashed himself with stones. It was probably flint. 
Flint is a hard gray stone with sharp, jagged edges. They used flint for arrowheads and spear points and cutting tools. So he had these and he was gashing himself. Let's think for a moment what we've just learned about this man so far. Add up these thoughts. He lived among the dead. He was out of control. He could not be overcome by any human means. He was a threat to others, but most of all to himself. Doesn't this also sound like a perfect description of sin? Sin leads to the land of the dead, for the wages of sin is death. None of us is strong enough to subdue the sin in our lives. We try our best, but we can't tame our sin any more than those people could tame that wild man from the tombs. We may not gash ourselves with rocks, but we sure injure ourselves with our choices, with our thoughts, and with our actions. Just like the man in the tombs, we're doomed unless somebody comes to rescue us. You know, I've heard people worry that if they give their life to Jesus, Jesus is going to come in and control them and make them do things they don't want to do. That's not what Jesus does. That's what sin does. Jesus comes to rescue. He comes to set us free. He is the only one that can rescue us. It's interesting, and this is just my curiosity talking, but it's interesting to me that in all three Gospels, that report this encounter with the demon-possessed man, none of them mention the disciples. We know the disciples were there. They got in the boat and went with Jesus. We know they were there, but they're not mentioned in Matthew, Luke, or Mark. I can't help but wonder if the disciples even got out of the boat. Maybe they were still shaken up from last night's curriculum. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, maybe the disciples thought this crazy guy was going to attack him. Wouldn't this seem like the perfect time for Peter to do his thing and jump out of the boat and come running up there and tackle the guy or get between him? No mention of Peter or any of the disciples. It seems to me that Mark and the other gospel writers want us to see that when it comes to a showdown with evil, it's all about Jesus. There is no safety in numbers. There's only safety in the Lord. But this crazy, supernaturally strong, violent man that attacked everyone else that came by did not attack Jesus. Let's read about this surprising confrontation. Let's go to verse 6, Mark 6 through 8, chapter 5. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. The man ran at Jesus, but not to assault him, but to fall before him and beg him not to be tormented. We have a movie out right now called Batman vs. Superman. It's a, probably nobody's seen it, but it's, it's, a, uh, it's a story about a battle between two superheroes. Well, here's a much greater battle with far more significance. This is the divine versus the demonic. And it's not a battle. It's no contest. The fight was over before it even started. This man we're about to learn is full of demons. He was loaded with the forces of hell, yet he was powerless against Jesus that stood alone. I have to ask you this. Do you see Jesus as that powerful? 
do, do you and I, do we really understand who Jesus is? Christians can have a pretty small view of Jesus. You know, maybe we see him as the gentle shepherd with cradling the lamb in his arms, you know? Or he's the tender teacher, bouncing the child on his knee. Or he's the sweet savior, speaking words of peace as he touches people with his loving touch. Yes, Jesus is all of those things, but he is also Almighty God with absolute power over absolutely everything. If you have big problems, you need a big Savior. The demon-possessed man called Jesus the Son of the Most High God. In Judaism, Most High God is the title that emphasizes the superiority of Israel's God over all the other pagan gods and over all evil spirits. Now this man bowed down before Jesus, but he did not worship him. He knew who Jesus was, but he had no faith. It reminds me of what James said. May I have James uh, 2.19, please? You know this verse in James 2.19. It says, you believe God is one, or you believe there's a God? You do well. In the Greek, that means big whoop. The demons also believe and shudder. Yes, this, Jesus, this man believed in who Jesus was and he was shuddering. He was begging not to be tormented. Knowledge can't save us. Only our faith can save us. Verse 8. Did you notice verse 8 that we read? It's a fascinating verse. Look at it again. For Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, this means Jesus had already told this evil spirit to come out of the man. And in all the other encounters we read about just a few minutes ago, we saw the minute Jesus said, come out, those spirits came out. But here Jesus allows a brief pause. Why? Why did Jesus allow a pause? I believe Jesus wanted to show us what was really going on here because there's more to this story than any of the other previous encounters. Let's read on. Look at verse 9 and 10. And Jesus was asking him, what is your name? And he said to Jesus, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Jesus wasn't talking to the man. He was talking to that evil spirit, the lead spirit inside the man. And when Jesus asked for the demon's name, Jesus already knew the answer. He wasn't shopping for information. He was asking to bring the reality and the complexity of this out into the open for us so we would understand. The demon said, my name is Legion. In that day and age, a legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. There's debate among scholars to whether there were actually 6,000 exactly demons in there, but it doesn't matter. The point is, this man was controlled by an extremely large number of militant evil spirits. He literally had an army from hell inside of him. Yet he was powerless against our Savior that stood alone. After this brief pause, Jesus was through talking. So look what happened next. Verse 11. Now there was a large herd of swine <coughs> feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored Jesus, saying, Send us into the swine so we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The demons begged not to be sent out of the area. <coughs> they wanted to go into a herd of pigs instead. Jesus gave them permission. 
What do you think Jesus said to get all those demons out of that man? Archaeologists have discovered Greek papyrus in Egypt that lists these big, long incantations that the ancient exorcists used to use when they encountered one evil spirit in someone. What kind of incantation did Jesus use when he confronted a legion of demons? Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus said, but Matthew does. Let me put it on the screen for you. Matthew 8, 32. Jesus said to them, the legion of demons, Jesus said, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. Not much of an incantation. Jesus simply said, go, and they went. One syllable, one syllable overpowered an army of demons. Here's something really important we need to know. The effectiveness of this exorcism did not depend at all on the words Jesus used. I think that's why Mark didn't bother to tell us what words he said, because they don't matter. The unclean spirits were expelled from this man surely, solely by the authority of Jesus himself. His presence alone defeats sin and all the powers of hell. Then and now. The power that Jesus had on that shore to rescue that man is the same power that Jesus has in Anaheim Hills to rescue you and I from the sin that makes chaos in our lives. <coughs> now, we aren't told why those demons wanted to go into the pigs. Maybe they wanted to continue to cause trouble. Maybe they knew if they went into that pigs, the pigs would destroy a fortune of livestock and the people would turn against the Lord. Luke's Gospel tells us that the demons begged not to be ordered into the abyss. The abyss is mentioned in uh, Revelation chapter 9. It's a bottomless pit. It's a holding cell for demons. So maybe they preferred pigs over going to demon jail. Let's try to picture this scene in our minds when the demons fled into the pigs. Okay? Have you ever heard a pig squeal? It's loud. It's so much louder than a dog bark or a horse whinny. Can you imagine the sound? 2,000 squealing pigs made, it had to be deafening. The entire herd rushed down the steep hill and into the sea. Pigs are lousy swimmers. They all drowned. Now, we don't know why Jesus allowed them to go into the pigs. Maybe he wanted to give us a graphic visual lesson on the immensity of evil that can hide inside a person. Or, since this was an economic catastrophe, I wonder if Jesus wanted to hint at the extraordinary cost to defeat sin. Jesus, of course, would pay the ultimate price of all when he went to the cross and died to defeat sin and death once and for all for us. Remember how scared the disciples were when they saw what Jesus did on the sea in the storm in Mark 4? Well, these people had the same reaction. Look at verse 14 through 17 of Mark 5. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore Jesus to leave their region. After the swine stampede, the swine herders ran away and broadcast the news everywhere they went. This time, picture yourself being in the town at that moment when they came running in. 
Imagine you're working in your shop or you're shopping for groceries. Just business as usual, ordinary day. All of a sudden you hear shouting and you see men running into the center of town and you recognize those men. They're the guys that have that big herd of swine out there and they're shouting and yelling stuff you can't hear, but a big crowd is gathering around them in a hurry. So you go running over there to hear what's the big news. And they're talking a mile a minute. They're agitated and they're afraid. They're gesturing and talking over the top of each other, so they're only getting little bits and pieces. And it's hard to understand everything that they're saying, but you hear them say something about that crazy lunatic that lives at the tombs. You hear them say something about Jesus, and you hear that all the swine are dead. Whatever you were doing before that, those men arrived, I bet you you forgot it when you went running out to the tombs to see for yourself what in the world had happened. And as you ran, you'd be thinking of how you never came out to the tombs with this crazy guy on the loose. When you arrive on the scene, you see the dangerous lunatic. But he's just sitting there, completely calm, completely sane, completely dressed. Where was the man sitting exactly? Does it matter? It surely does. Luke's Gospel tells us where he was sitting. Let me have Luke 8.35, please. We'll put it on the screen. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The man was not off sitting by himself, as you might expect. (laughs) He was sitting at Jesus' feet. Sitting at Christ's feet is the posture of someone ready to receive his word and submit to the guidance of it. In Jesus' day, willing students sat at the feet of their masters, their teachers. This man was done resisting. No more shouting, no more bargaining. Just sit at Jesus' feet. Complete, humble submission to the Lord. This is how each one of us gets set free. We must stop resisting, bargaining, striving with God. We must realize we can't subdue our sin by ourselves, even the best of us. We must surrender to the only one that can rescue us. We must put ourselves gladly under Christ's authority. Think back to when this poor, tortured man first saw Jesus. Remember? He saw him from a distance. As long as there was a gap between them, this man's condition remained unchanged. The only way he could be rescued was at the feet of Jesus. When we are overpowered by sin in our lives, it's our nature to distance ourselves from Jesus, isn't it? Maybe we even withdraw from other believers. We isolate ourselves like this man did in the tombs. (coughs) But on our own, things go from bad to worse. As we sit in church today, all of us, we all know about the sin that we battle in the privacy of our lives. It may be in one or two areas where we might have a legion of things out of control in our lives. Whatever your situation is, the answer is the same. Jesus is the only one that can set you free. The seat of unlimited power is at the feet of Jesus. Can I have that first photo again? I want to show you this hillside one more time. When the townspeople ran out to see what had happened, they would have looked down a steep hillside. Maybe this one right here. 
Can you imagine seeing 2,000 pig carcasses floating out there in sea, at the sea? Fear gripped their hearts. <laughs> they became more afraid of Jesus than they ever were of that demon-possessed, crazy, violent lunatic. You know, most people today, if you asked them, would probably say they'd love to see a manifestation of God. Yeah, show me a miracle. I want to see God. Well, these people saw a miracle. They saw God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. They did not enjoy the experience. They didn't sit at their master's feet. They begged Jesus to go away. This is how hard our human hearts can be. If you ever share Christ with someone and they tell you to go away, leave them alone, please don't be surprised or discouraged. Jesus got the same reaction. Now under the heading of be careful what you ask for, the people urged Jesus to leave. So he left the Son of the Most High God. The only one that could rescue them. The only one that could give them eternal life. The only one that could grant them forgiveness and save them. Got back in the boat and sailed out of their lives at their own request. If you want Jesus to leave you alone, he might just do that. And that would be a decision you will regret for all of eternity. But not everyone had that reaction. Let's finish this, verse 18 to 20. (coughs) Sorry. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. (coughs) And Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Everyone begged Jesus to go away except for that demon-possessed man who begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus did not allow the man to go with him. Do you sometimes struggle to understand God? How he answers your prayers? Why did Jesus say yes to the request of the demons to go into the pigs, but he said no to the request of the man to go with him in the boat. You know, the Lord has perfect wisdom. We need to understand that. Perfect reason for everything he does. When he says no to us, it's because he's going to say yes to something that's better for us. In this case, Jesus said, no, don't go with me. I want to send you home. Remember this man had not been home for a long, long time? Jesus sent him home to be restored to his family and friends. And this former lunatic from the tombs that once had a legion of demons... He became the first missionary to the Gentiles sent by Jesus. When we sit at Jesus' feet, when we submit to his word and his authority, then we too have hearts that Jesus can use to send us out to do whatever work he's called for us to do. I know we often worry that we don't have the skills or the talent or the experience to do what we think God wants us to do. You know what we need to concentrate on? Our hearts. Make sure we have the right hearts. Let God take care of the rest. Notice the wording in verse 19 to 20. It's big. Jesus said, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. The word for the Lord there is God. Report the things that God has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And the man went away, obeying Jesus to the letter, and proclaimed in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, go tell people what God did. And he obeyed and told them what Jesus did. 
this passage ends by declaring once again, as we've seen throughout the book of Mark, Jesus is God. I'd like to close by taking you back to the end of chapter 4 of Mark. Would you please turn to Mark 4, verse 35? Let's remember how this daring rescue got started. This is amazing to me. Mark 4:35. And on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, "Let us go over to the other side." Why did Jesus want to go to the other side? Did he want to preach to big crowds in Decapolis like he had been preaching in Galilee? No. Jesus traveled across the sea and through a violent storm to get to one man. A man that is so insignificant we don't even know his name. Jesus crossed the sea to save one lost and desperate man. Just like Jesus crossed the expanse from heaven to earth to rescue you, to rescue me. We must never doubt the value of one life to our Savior. No one is insignificant to him. No one is beyond hope or beyond his reach. If this wretched lunatic full of demons can be loved and rescued by Jesus, anyone can. After we close in prayer, if you would like prayer, our prayer team is going to be right over here. Please let's pray. Dear Father, how grateful we are that you rescued that man. How grateful we are that you came through the storms of our life to rescue us. Father, I pray for each person here and I pray for our church. We would be men and women that sit at your feet. Humble, submissive, listening to your word, willing and ready to go wherever you would lead us. Lead us, And we thank you, Father, for this in the name of our rescuer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.